Hi, this is Mike. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing at the Heights Fellowship. We hope you enjoy this message. We know it's not the same thing as being here in person, but we pray that God would move as you listen and as God applies this to your heart. Glad you're here. We have been in this series for a while called Vibes, Hearing the Voice of God. And we've been talking about ways that you can hear the voice of God. All the way back in the book of Job, one of Job's friends, you know, Job had three idiot friends and then there was a young upstart that was a part of it too. They, they kind of speak a lot of half-truths, but he got this part right, Elihu did, when he said, you know what, God may speak in one way or another, yet man does not perceive it. God is speaking to his people. It was Job's the oldest book in the Bible. It's not the oldest it's the oldest as, as far as when it was written. Genesis goes back to the beginning, but Job's the oldest book in the Bible. All the way back then, they recognized what we've been talking about for the last oh, eight or nine weeks, which is that God speaks. We need to learn to hear when God speaks. There's a great verse over in Psalm 65 that says, talking to God, that, O oh, you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. And so the design and the desire for this whole series has been that as God speaks, that you will come to him, that you will hear him, that you will respond to that. And hopefully, we're going to hear some testimonies in the days ahead of, of you guys saying, you know, I talked to God about this and God did this in my life. I was praying for one of our men this morning as I came in to the church, and I know he's been dealing with a lot of physical pain, and I, I just said, Lord, uh, it would be really great for him if when I got in, I walk up and ask him, how are you feeling? He tells me that his pain level is three or less. I walked in this morning and said, how are you feeling? He said, I'm at a two. And I just kind of smiled and said, my God kind of does that. And, and I understand that that comes and goes, but uh, God always hears our prayer. The question I want to ask you this morning is this, how big is your box? We all as humans have this tendency to try to box God. We all do it. And people who have been raised in the church, those of you guys who are in the church from the womb like me, you know what I'm talking about. You guys are the worst at it. You just, we always try to think in if-then kind of scenarios. Today I want to talk about prayer. And, and really, the whole point of prayer is this, not to get God to hear us. We just read in Psalm 65, oh, you who hear. Okay, the point of prayer is to get us to hear God. And God is going to try, his design is to draw us to himself. So I want to ask you a question as we start out here this morning. Which do you think is better? Receiving something from God or truly knowing who God is. Now think about that. W would you like to receive a gift, an autograph, of a signed photo from your favorite actor or actress, sports star, musician, politician, somebody famous? Or would you rather be able to say, oh man, I know them. We talk a lot. Well, kind of when you think of it in those terms, doesn't even, it doesn't even compare. God wants us to know who he is. Norman Grubb says this. He says, we fail to bridge the gap within us between, God, between God's thoughts and God's word of faith because we are bound by the domination of the visible. In other words, we are locked in to the things we can see right here, right now. 
that when you get out of that box, when you're able to pull yourself up and see out of that box, you realize there's a whole lot more, there's a whole lot more at stake. It's not just about me and my job or my health or my family. All of those things are important and they're very vital to us. But you look at it in perspective of the kingdom of God over the, the time span that we have here on earth and it's a whole lot bigger, a whole lot bigger. So let me ask you another question. Answer this for me. God is my what? Is he your prayer answer, your father, your friend, your redeemer? What is he? That's what we're looking for. The fact is, though, most people probably answer it this way. God is my prayer answer. We go to God when we're mad. We go to God when we're scared. We go to God when we're nervous. We go to God when we, you know, but, but for the most part, we don't try to commune with God. And God ultimately wants to be known as our Father, like some of you guys just said. To the lost, He's known as God. But to the redeemed, to the saved, He's known as Father. And He's always trying to bring us into a greater understanding of Himself. Let me give you this verse out of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said this. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom. Or the powerful boast in their powerful, the rich boast in their riches. But let those who wish to boast should boast in this one thing alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates his unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. Let me ask you something. In your world, in your culture, in your climate, in your space and time in history, okay, that you're occupying, do you understand God in relation to those things of his unfailing love? We just sang about it. That, that was the last thing we sang before I got up here to talk. But do we really understand his unfailing love? Do we understand that he wishes to bring justice and righteousness to the earth. Do we understand that he delights in those things? I think we want to. I think most of us would nod and say, yeah, 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 yeah. But the question is, when we go through a rough patch, when things get sketchy, when we kind of begin to lose control, do we still hold to these things? God is ultimately trying to bring each one of us to the understanding that he delights in an unfailing love. He delights in justice and righteousness. How do we respond? How do we know these things unless we walk through them with him and see him work? And so we've got a box. We've got an if-then kind of theology. And God all of a sudden scrambles that. Are you still going to trust God? Are you still going to delight in him? Are you still going to sing his praise? Are you still going to tell your neighbors and your friends and your family, my God is great and hold to that? He's always trying to get us out of that box. And so what we need to understand that as we come to Christ, we have a basic understanding. If you've been a believer for a couple of years or less, you have a basic understanding of God. But God's not content with leaving you at that level of maturity. Scripture talks in many places about pressing on toward maturity. 
of being becoming complete in Christ. Well, here's the process. It says in 1 John 1, we're telling you about ourselves and what we've actually seen and heard and that you can have fellowship with us, that you know you're a part of a family, but our fellowship is ultimately with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. When you come to Christ, you get that. In all honesty, if you're not a believer, you don't get that. If you're somebody who's gone to church and pretended to be a Christian most of your life, if you have some sort of plastic theology, you're not going to get that. Because a basic believer in Christ at least understands that. We have this introduction to Christ, but then God begins to expand it so that we understand that we are communing with Him. I love the paraphrase of Philippians chapter 2 where it says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if love made any kind of difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit, do you understand that you're not just in a community of faithful spiritual people in the church? You are literally in a love relationship with God who is, the Bible says, Spirit. You're in a spiritual community. With him, and he's helping and trying to draw us into a greater understanding that we don't just know kind of basics of who God is, but we are beginning to commune with him. And then he leads us a little bit further, and we begin to participate with him. Paul would write about his own experience where he said, I was chosen to explain to everyone that this plan of God, the creator of all things, had been kept secret from the beginning. In other words, God had held it back, and now he's revealing it. God's purpose was to show his wisdom in all its rich varieties to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He goes on to talk about, hey, God asked me to be a part of his great work. And that's the next step. Understanding that God has a great work and my vocation or my place in life or my family or my income or my talent or my skill level, all of that was given to me by God to participate in his great work. And the fact of the matter is in the church by and large today, we tend to think that this is my stuff and I'll give God his 10% or whatever, but this is my stuff, whether it's our time, whether it's our talent, whether it's our income, whatever. God the whole time is saying, no, no, participate with me in this great work. Ultimately, he longs that we partner with him, that we are his spiritual partners. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, we work together as partners who belong to God. It's not your 10%. He owns it all. It's not your talent. He owns it all. It's not your skill. He owns it all. And we are called to be partners with him, Jesus would say, I don't call you slaves anymore. I, I now call you friends. A slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I'm telling you what I'm doing. That's how partners talk. Because that's why in marriages, it's important that you communicate. How many times in your marriages, as those of you guys who are married, some of, the, some of the young people are going, I don't know what you're talking about. But how many times in your marriages have you been in a place where you hit a rough patch because what? You didn't communicate. You didn't talk. You just assumed. Listen, you can't grow a marriage on assumption. You can't grow a relationship with God on assumption. You got to have a conversation. And that's why hearing God 
is so important. I have made the things that I heard from the Father, he says, I've made them known to you. What he's trying to do is draw us into a greater understanding. He's trying to tell us, I'm not leaving you in that little box. I'm not going to do it. So don't get comfortable there. There's something greater. There's something bigger. And when it comes to prayer, the truth is most often when we view prayer, when we talk about prayer, we think of it as a one-way conversation. We tend to think of it as me telling God something. And we forget that a large part of that is hearing from God. It's always some version of me telling God stuff. So today, as we talk into this, we want to we look for the next several minutes this idea of why prayers don't get answered. Now, before we go any further, some of you theologians in the room are going to stop me and say, uh, well, brother, we know that all prayers get answered. I know that. I'm just using this for the slide, okay? Why don't our prayers get answered the way we want? See, theologians can relax a little bit. First of all, our prayers don't get answered the way we want because we don't ask. There's the assumption thing again. Well, God knows everything. He knows what I need. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I want. Yes, that's true. But we've already talked about he wants to have a two-way conversation with you. We didn't ask for a lot of reasons, too. One of the reasons we didn't ask is because he's a busy God. I mean, he's got that whole universe thing he's working on. Why does he want to bother with me? I mean, what I've got to talk to him about can't be as important as like global peace. It can't be as as important as getting that comet to avoid the earth. I mean, he's got big stuff. Why would I talk to him about that? The opposite end of that is we think, you know what, God? I got this. Hold my beer. I got this, God. Sometimes we don't ask because we're afraid God will turn us down. I mean, what if I ask him and he says no? I'd just rather not be disappointed. Right? Sometimes we don't ask because we think, oh, that's so selfish of me. I really, really want this. I really, really think I need this. But it's just selfish. I'm not going to talk to him about it. Sometimes, I say on the screen, we're very fatalistic. You know what? It's not going to do any good. I prayed about this before and nothing happened. Is that scriptural? I prayed about this and, you know, nothing. I'm not even going to try. I pray that God would, would change my, my kid's heart. I pray that God would change my spouse's heart. I'm not even going to pray about it. God, I'm not going to talk to you about this anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not, it's not going to change anything. Sometimes we don't ask because, in all honesty, some of us, even those of us who claim to be believers, don't think God likes us enough. I, I know every time, it's such an impediment to God every time that I say something. I don't know that he really cares about me. It says in James chapter 4, verse 2, listen, you want something and you don't get it. You kill, you covet, You cannot have the things you want. You quarrel, you fight. Does this sound like the world you know? It does to me. He said, you know, bottom line is you don't have because you don't ask. 
do you understand this about God, that he's not bound by resources? See, here's where the, the earthly parent kind of thing falls apart as we try to compare it to God. Earthly parents, kids, if you don't know this yet, your parents have limited resources. The bank account's only so big, and that money doesn't grow on trees. How many times have you heard that? You know, parents have limited resources. God's not bound by that. God can do whatever he wants to do. He can make something from nothing. That's the way he made the earth. You, you don't have because you don't ask. All those other things that are listed above that are couched in the earthly mindset that there are limited resources. That's why we have wars. That's why we have problems with people and racism and all kinds of stuff. Because I'm going to get mine. God's not bound by that. You don't have because you don't ask. There are three essentials to prayer as we start talking to God that we have to get. We have to hold these things. Thing number one is this, that God is a loving father, not a stingy miser. Jesus brought this up in kind of his, his uh, opening, opening uh, kind of talk about the kingdom of God, the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, if you then who are evil, talking about earthly people, if people who have bad motives and all sorts of stuff going on, if you know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more do you think your heavenly Father will give good things to those who ask? God's not a miser. Secondly, God is an attentive Father, not an absentee Father. God is attending us at any moment. Yes, you. I mean, the old song, the old you know, song, His Eyes on the Sparrow. Listen. If he understands how sparrows hop, how many bounces they make in their day, he knows everything about you. The eyes of the Lord, it says in Psalm 34, are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their cries. He is a very present father. We got to pray understanding that. When you have those two things in your head, it changes your approach to prayer. But then there's a third thing. That God wants, God commands it, God loves it when you pray. It's not an impediment. It's, it's not a, oh, this is so laborious. Do I have to listen to you again? Again, that's earthly people. That's not God. In the Bible, do you understand in Ephesians 6, it tells us that we are to pray about everything? It literally says that. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, pray without ceasing. In other words, always be online with God. You, you do that with your kids. You do that with your spouse. You do that with the people that work for you. You say, listen, when, when I text you, I need to have a response. I need to know that you're there. You ever texted somebody you don't hear from them from a couple of days? We, we, we kind of got over it with email, but with text, man, we expect immediate reply and response. God's just saying, hey, always be online with me. You never know when, when I'm going to hit you up. So pray without ceasing, it says in 1 Thessalonians. Jesus literally gave a parable. He said, I'm giving you this parable so you'll know to pray and not give up. We just need to go back every month or so and reread that and just remind ourselves, I need to keep praying about this. It, it says in Luke chapter 11 to ask and seek and not to pray persistently. 
Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking if you understand what it's actually saying in the original language of that. 1 John chapter 5, we are told to pray expectantly that you have a loving Father who is very attentive. That doesn't mean you can go to God and demand something. But that means, listen, I'm trying to connect with God and be a part of what he's doing to participate in his work and be a partner with him. I'm going to pray about these things, and I expect God to do his work. And then the last thing is, listen, stress prayer rather than stress out. Philippians 4, there's that famous verse about uh, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. That's that verse. Listen, this is... One of the things that can de-stress your life if you understand your conversation with God and where this thing is going. God wants, loves, and commands us to pray. And so we don't have because we don't ask. A second reason that our prayers don't go the way we want is because we have the wrong motivation. <clears throat> James would go so far as to say this. He said, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. You ask that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Here's what the child of God understands. That God is drawing me into a bigger box. He's drawing me into a bigger space. He's trying to get me to understand it's not just about me and my family or me and my kids or me and my job so that I can spend it. It's so that this can be a part of his great kingdom eternal work. Sometimes our prayers are very, very, very short-sighted and self-centered. And he says, I'm not even going to respond to that. So let me ask you again, how big is your box? What are you praying for? What are you praying about? I'm convinced the reason the church in the West leans toward being impotent is because we're so self-focused and not kingdom-focused. We have a really, really small box. What are we praying about? Number three, we don't have our prayers turn out the way that God wants our prayers to turn out. In all honesty, because we're refusing to deal with sin in our lives. You, you can't dismiss that. When the Holy Spirit prompts you about something, when the Holy Spirit tweaks you about something, don't excuse that. Maybe you're reading a scripture and you have that God encounter where you realize, man, this sin that I see in this person's life, I deal with that too. And you know what? I'm dealing with it right now. Don't close your Bible and go on about your day. Talk to God about that. He's wanting to deal with that. If I had confessed sin in my heart, David said, if I had not confessed sin in my heart, the Lord wouldn't have listened. God always stops right there in the road and says, wait, we're not going further until you get this, get this taken care of. Let's deal with this. Let's explore the why. Why do you keep leaning into substances? Why do you keep leaning into these behaviors? Why can't you follow me in this and let me relieve that from you? Why don't you give me this and walk away from it for good? But we hang on to it. We clutch it like a security blanket. We're not going to let it go. We don't see our prayers answered because we're refusing to deal with sin in our life. And then sometimes we just don't believe God will do it. Even believers. We try to 
tend to, to excuse things away or explain things away and not say, you know what? God, I'm going to trust you for this. If you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to answer. Because if you have a doubtful mind, as James calls it there, you're as unsettled as a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You're just there and there and there and there. You're just beat up by the waves. People like that, he said, don't expect God to respond. You're just going to get a no or a silence. We pray without really believing God about it. Then there's this one. And I think this one nails us, even believers. We pray with an unforgiving spirit. Over in Matthew chapter 5, the Amplified Translation says, But I say to you that everyone who continues to be angry with his brother or harbors malice has enmity of heart against him shall be liable and unable to escape the punishment by the court. Let me talk to you spouses for a minute because you probably didn't expect me to go there with this one. Here's what happens in a marriage. In a marriage, you have this constant exposure, this constant bumping up against one another. And you began to get sensitive. You began to get sore. And what happens with spouses, you see it so often in marriage counseling, is they've built up this deep-seated resentment toward the person they're supposed to love the most. And we begin to switch off the things we're supposed to do for one because you won't do this for me, I'm not going to do this for you. I'm holding this out. Listen, if you're praying about something, you better be addressing that or the Lord's going to say, stop right there. We're not going any further. This is too important. And some of you guys in this room, some of you guys are online family, you may be going through a strife in your marriage Maybe going through a place like that in your life. It doesn't have to be marriage. It could be with your kids. It could be with a friend. It could be with a relative. It could be somebody at work. But you've developed this deep-seated, this embedded resentment. Sometimes we say, well, I put up my walls. Or sometimes we say, I withdraw. It's all the same thing. It's all talking about that same thing. God intends that we forgive because he forgave us, right? We, he talks about that so many places. We have an unforgiving spirit. Jesus says, don't expect it to escape the consequences of that. You're not going to escape the punishment imposed by the court. And that's not saying God's going to zap us or slap us because that's in our life. He's just saying your prayers are going to be very, very limited because of that. Another thing. Our prayers don't turn out the way we need them to because we're thinking purely in human terms, purely in worldly terms, purely in cultural terms. We're not thinking God thoughts. Jesus said this. To, to help you, he said, listen, abide in me. Uh, abide in me and let my words abide in you. Do you understand the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who sent the flood and saved humanity, the same God who raised Lazarus from the dead, the same God who, who brought the victory that Elijah had at Mount Carmel, the same God who did all the miracles that we see in the Bible. God didn't change. 
God still wants to do things like that in our world. We just don't talk to him about them. We're so limited because we're thinking in purely human terms and not in God terms. Not in kingdom terms. Why can't God give us the city? Why can't God give us the country? Why can't God not give us the world? And I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about the spread of the gospel. We're not asking big enough because we're locked in this small box. So what does God say to our prayer? To the media guys, I'm going to go ahead and finish this. We're there. We're good. So what does God say to our prayer? Let me give you a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We, we live in a place in the world where one of the things that we contend with in Christianity is something over the last generation that's kind of emerged called the prosperity gospel. That because I'm a believer, God promised me that I'm going to be rich, that I'm going to have perfect health, I'm going to have the beautiful car, the beautiful house, the beautiful spouse, all those kind of things. All right? Nowhere does it say that. Do you understand that Paul, who healed people, couldn't heal himself? You can't presume that that's going to happen. Paul has some sort of affliction. We don't know what it is. Some people say blindness. Some people say something else. We don't know what it is. Paul is going to God saying, I'm so limited God, I want to do big things, and, and I can't do bigger things because of this in me. And the Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, God didn't answer his prayer the way he expected. God answered his prayer, just not the way he expected. He says, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Man, if... if Understand, God, if I had this job and that income, if I had this kind of, 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 of profile in our world, I would have a voice and I could speak to these things. And God, I want this. And God's just saying, uh-uh. You're still living in the same house. You still have the same bill to, or, or paycheck to paycheck kind of orientation. God, if, if I didn't have this marriage... If my spouse was more supportive of me, then I could be great. And God says, no. I want you to learn to love her the way I love you. When you're uncooperative and you don't want to be a part of this and you're, making, you're, you're, you're trying to, to do something you just have to struggle, I want you to get that's what you do to me. You need to learn to love me that way. You can love me in spite of all of that. So I may not change your marriage. Sometimes God says, I'm not going to do that. My power is perfected in your weakness. You're going to have to stay with me and keep coming to me and keep having that conversation with me. And so Paul says, you know what? I got the message. So I'm going to boast about my weakness. God, I'm totally dependent on you so that Christ's power may rest on me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul says, God, take it away. Take this sickness, take this situation, take this person away from me. And God says, no. Sometimes he says no. And the why 
is because God is doing something different than what we think he's doing. And the result is, well, he's Paul. He has the greatest impact in the world in regard to the gospel of anyone who's ever lived. You wouldn't be here probably if it weren't for Paul. If God hadn't have done this work, if God hadn't have said no, you may not be here today. And Paul came to know Jesus much more intimately, not just as his prayer answerer, but as his all-sufficient provider and savior. How about this one? What does God say to our prayer? Paul writes, so that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here or there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all ways grow up in Him. We say, God, why can't I have this? God, why can't I have that? God, why can't I have the better job or the corner office or the bigger church or the greater income or whatever? And God says, listen, I want you to grow into this. You're not ready. You, you couldn't handle this. I remember one time when I was in my early 20s, I was walking with the Lord, and man, the passion of God was on me. We were, we were leading people to Christ every day. I mean, no, no lie. And I had a ministry opportunity I was sure that was mine, and I wanted God to give it to me. Looking back now, I kind of laugh going, man, ain't no way I was ready for that. No way I was ready to handle the responsibility and the detail that that demanded. And and fortunately, I had people around me who were smart enough to say, yeah, we love you, but no. (laughs) No. And I'm disappointed by that, but what God was saying to me was, hey, Ben, grow. grow. Grow into that. He insists that we grow. And more important than God just answering a prayer because we want him to answer it is that we get to know him a lot better. I I began to understand that about 12 years later when the Lord kind of spoke to my heart. We talked about that in this series. And the Lord said to me, you know what? You're a very accomplished young man. You have lots of energy. You have lots of passion. You have good theology. But you don't know me the way that you need to know me to lead people. I'm going to take you there. And he did. And it was one of the most painful things I've ever gone through in my life. But I wouldn't trade for it to this day. Because he was saying, you need to know me. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says grow. Over in Samuel, we find this story that, or this statement that, you know, when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I'll make one of your sons king and will keep his kingdom Strong, and he will be the one to build the temple for me. You know the story? This is King David. King David, who's, who brings Israel to its zenith of power. And, and David loves the Lord. David's a mess, but David loves the Lord. And David says, Lord, I, I built me a house, but you got to have a house. How can I live this way when, when you got to have this house? And God says, I appreciate that. That's really a good thing. But you know what? You're not the guy to do it. It's going to happen. You're just not the guy to do it. You see, God says to David, not no, not grow. He says to David, hey, slow down. Time's not right. Sometimes we pray to God about something, and he doesn't say no. He's just saying, hey, man, slow down, pump the brakes. You think you're ready now? You're not ready. You think this is going to happen now? It ain't the time. 
slow down. Good prayer, good intention, good heart, David. This isn't the time. Your son's going to be the one to do it. You remember the story. David got to be the one who drew up the plans and got all the resources in place so that when Solomon takes over, he can do this. And that temple was grand and amazing because David was willing to let God say, hey, slow down, son. Hold up. God is connecting people. God is connecting people in time. In this case, generations with himself and his work. And then there's this. By awesome deeds and in righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and the far off seas. Sometimes God says, go. It's time. I've connected all the right things. Listen, the Savior didn't come until God had made all the right connections. But when the Savior, when, the, when that had been done, what does the New Testament say? In the right time. God gave his son, born of a woman, to bring salvation to us. He answers us. He answers us righteously according to his plan and not according to our kind of whims. And what happens, the result is people go, wow. We recognize his glory. We see that, that we need to be in community and communion with him and trust his provision to us. Norman Grubb that I quoted earlier says this, you know, communion with the indwelling person is the privilege of all and the unceasing experience of some. God wants that. But you know what? There are some of us in this room this morning, you're not in communion with him. You're maybe mad at him because he answered a past prayer differently than you expected him to answer it. But because he hasn't given you everything that you want right here, right now. You've never fully trusted Christ. You've been on the fringes of religion. You understand there's all this religiousness around you, but you've never had a personal experience with Christ. You're not going to be in communion with him. Communion with the indwelling person is the privilege of all, but the unceasing experience of some. A prayer as we end this series is simply this. Don't be the sum. Be those that God communes with. Have conversation with him. Hear him moving and speaking in your life. Hopefully we've given you some tools over these last nine messages to get you there. But don't, don't, don't leave this place without knowing the Father. Without at least starting on that journey with him. So let me pray over you. And you do whatever business with God that he would have you do with him this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. Lord, thank you for your Savior. Thank you that you provide forgiveness of sin and an opportunity to have communion with you to all. And yet, Lord, only some actually experience that. How sad. I pray this morning, Father, that you have spoken to our hearts. You've moved in our lives as we've sung, as we've thought these thoughts, as we've heard your, your scripture read over us and your words spoken to us. And Father, I pray that we would be prompted to move, to do the thing that you ask us to do. For some, it would be for the very first time to trust you, to believe that the death of Christ on the cross was sufficient, to believe that, that I need to quit trying to save myself and yield my will to Christ and say, okay, you do this. I'm putting my trust in that. Lord, that they may receive the righteousness of Christ. 
And Father, I pray for the believers in the room, Lord, that, that we would realize, man, you want to hear from us. So we're talking to you and hearing from you and listening and letting you move and giving you the freedom to do your work in our lives. Father, for some reason, Lord, I pray for some in this room who need your touch and healing. Father, I'm not a healer, but you are. Father, I pray that, that you would just let them know, hey, I'm there. Understand your hurt, your pain, your disease. And I've got this. Father, you wouldn't let their spirits sag. Father, there are some here whose marriages need to be rekindled and revived. Father, I pray we quit fighting with another and trying to change one another and trust you instead. And let you walk us through that. Bring us out of the darkness and into your light and let us live this week like people who have been redeemed, who have been forgiven, who don't have all the answers but know the one who does. Thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being a part of what God's doing here at the Heights Fellowship. If the Lord led you to make a decision or you have a question or a need, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at the email listed below, info at theheightsfellowship.org. And we will join you in praying as you take a step forward on your journey with God.